Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. that there may be some of you here that weren't here last night that might want to hear some of the poems that I read. Um, you know, I read them over and over and over again and learn from them. But before I do that, I just, I, I remembered a koan. Uh, you know, koans are stories, really. Where, and, but a, a student will, who is working on a koan will have to kind of embody the meaning of the koan in some kind of way. But they're just great stories, and um, as we were all bowing, I thought of the one about Elder Ting. Um, he asked his teacher, uh, what is the great meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West, which is a kind of a way of saying what's the meaning of Buddhism. <clears throat> it's a colloquial Zen expression for what is the meaning What's the point of all this? We've been here all day. It's a beautiful, snowy day. Uh, why are we going? Why are we doing this? And uh, he asked his teacher, Rinzai, that question. Rinzai was a fierce, fierce teacher. Uh, so what's, it, what, what's the point of all this? And Rinzai jumped down from his big high seat. You know, if we were in Japan or China, I'd be sitting on the piano. <laughs> much more democratic in this world. Right? So I don't have to jump down from the high But he jumped down from the high seat and went over and slapped uh, Elder Ting. What's the meaning? Huh? Maybe, maybe you get it. Maybe you think, oh, well, they're so violent. <laughs> I thought that for years and did not want to study koans. But actually, you know, <laughs> he's showing what the meaning is. Melder Ting just stood there like... And there was someone standing next to him, one of those famous anonymous monks in the Zen tradition, <laughs> a Sangha member who got it, and who said, Elder Ting, why don't you bow? And when Elder Ting started to bow, he realized what the teaching of Rinzai was. He hadn't realized it until his Sangha member, his Dharma friend, said, why don't you bow? You just got a teaching. Huh? Isn't that beautiful? 
It's part, it's, that's what I've been trying to share with you this whole time today, is, is that it's what we call the one body of practice, is that all together we're doing this. We, we think we just individually where each one of us is, is doing it, but we're doing it as a group. And the more we recognize that in our hearts and minds, the more open and porous we are to all of the teachings that are available to us right now. And it's not, not coming from me, coming from this whole event in this moment. Really, Elder, the teaching of Elder Ting is, is very important. And also, you know, and th- somebody will say something, and they don't mean it as a teaching, but you take it as a teaching, that's fine. <laughs> that's a wonderful thing. Everything is always bubbling with an opportunity for us to become more clear, more aware, more connected, inside and outside. Because the whole idea of inside and outside is just an idea. The whole idea of emptiness and fullness is an idea. Of the absolute and the relative, that's just an idea. Good functioning helps us to be more aware, but it's not the truth. It's just words. And there's lots of words about it. (laughs) And brilliant, brilliant teachers that make you just really turn your life around. But it's not the complete thing. It's always an approximation. And when we realize that, we don't fall into that kind of fundamentalist kind of role. We really begin to see that. So before, I was going to read a few from last night, but there's a couple that I think uh, might uh, uh, speak to some of the issues that we heard of today. I like this one by Chao John from the 8th century. It's called The Creek Out Front. Spring songs already quieting. The ancient source still bubbles forth. It's a mistake, my modern friends, to wound the heart to try to cross that street. Spring songs already quieting. The ancient source still bubbles forth. You know, when we first begin to practice, we're like the spring. We're excited. And we, we want we want to see something. We want to be better. We have like a we're like a youth, the youth of spring. You know, we have that bursting energy of spring. So here the songs are already quieting, so that that first burst of spring is gone. Spring songs already quieting. But the ancient source still bubbles forth. So, who you really are, your place in the world, in the universe, it, that's still there, but it's not, it's not like this grasping, I want to attain Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi great, perfect enlightenment. But rather, there's this, this wonderful wisdom that is available, that is bubbling forth. And then he, he, he warns us. He says, it's a mistake, my modern friends, to wound the heart 
to try to cross that stream. There's the image of crossing the stream is like, it's the idea that there's an other side. You know, there's that great Sufi joke about the man who calls to the person on the other side and says, how do I get to the other side? And the guy on the other side says, you are on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Samsara is nirvana. Basic teaching. There's nowhere to go but here. <laughs> this is the life. This is it. <laughs> it's marvelous. And that's the ancient source. So it's a mistake, my modern friends, to wound the heart to try to cross that stream. It breaks my heart to tell you how often I have to spend time with people who have been discouraged by the quality of their practice and so leave it. For years, I just got an email from someone. I just adored this man. It's 20 years he's left the practice. Now he writes me an email. He's very sick. And he says, you know, I just realized I've, I've missed all this time. I want to come back, you know. And why did he leave? Because he felt a failure in Zen. <laughs> he felt that he wasn't, he didn't get what he thought he wanted to get, right? And this old man from the 8th century, this Tang Dynasty poet, it's a mistake to wound the heart to try to cross that stream, because this stream doesn't exist, is what I would add. I hate adding things to Chow John, but because uh, <laughs> he's so beautiful and brief about it. But uh, that's the point. And I think it's really important. And that's why I love, you know, I think it's, it's very nice to have a book of, of Zen poetry around and just pick up one of these short poems and uh, see what the teaching is for you because they can be very healing. This reminds me of the one that I read last night. Ah, here it is. One minute of sitting, one inch of Buddha. Hmm? Like lightning, all thoughts come and pass. Just once look into your mind depths. Nothing else has ever been. So, one minute of sitting, one inch of Buddha. It's what I've been trying to encourage today. It's just When you're there, be there. And, and don't be weeping and moaning about when you're not there. Just presence. Presence. Like lightning, all thoughts come and pass. Just the way it is. It just flows back. Just once look into your mind depths. Nothing else has ever been wherever you are. You're grieving. You're very sad being there. Not saying, oh, I should be happy. I should be blissful <laughs> when you see the torments of the world. Not necessarily at all. It's actually deluded to be blissful if you're feeling, if you're experiencing uh, personal grief or grief for the world. On the other hand, if you're feeling blissful, you shouldn't feel guilty because you're not feeling grief for the world. <laughs> you see? I mean, this is, this is so commonsensical. I, <laughs> there was one, I hope, I didn't read it last night, but I just thought of it, and I think it might be here. Yeah. This is Muso Soseki, 
um, Japanese 14th century. I think it applies to perhaps some of your practice today. Oh, it's in this book. <laughs> okay. Satori noted, the mind like quicksilver goes falsely enlightened down those old wrong-headed roads, each more wrong than before. And here is this great master talking. So Satori is great enlightenment, right? Seeing, seeing into the nature of the self. So he says, noting Satori, the mind like quicksilver, you know, it's quicksilver so fast, lightning fast, goes falsely enlightened, immediately begins to have a commentary on your experience. This is, this is a guy, this wonderful Muso Saseki, a great poet, great Zen master, talking in the 14th century about exactly what has occurred in this room today, I'm sure. First we have this, and then like quicksilver, our mind goes, oh, well that was this and this was that, the commentary, as he says, down those old wrong-headed roads, those roads we know so well, the commentary that, we're, that we give ourselves about everything that we do. Hmm? each more wrong than before. It's amazing. Now I think, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but we'll just go with the dog-eared pages here. Ah, here's this young May. On the road to Tiantai, this is on to the, the road to one of the great mountains in China. And uh, he writes, wrapped, surrounded by 10,000 mountains, cut off, no place to go. Until you're here, there's no way to get here. Once you're here, there's no way to go. So here he's talking about that moment of clarity that we have. Where there's really no difference between us and the mountains. We're completely at that still point. As T.S. Eliot called it, the still point. Wrapped, surrounded by 10,000 mountains, cut off, no place to go. Until you're here, there's no way to get here. Once you're here, there's no way to go. So your complete presence, there's no, it's a mystery when we have these experiences. It's a complete mystery. What we know is that we can sit, we can be mindful, we can be aware of the intention. And then from time to time, these experiences happen. And as Musa Saseki reminds us, you can't hold on to it. Don't hold on to it because it's already gone. That was a minute ago. Oh, actually, that was a second ago. Let's see. Well, I have these things. Uh, this is very sentimental. I love the sentimental ones sometimes. Um, Saigyo. 
Whatever it is, I cannot understand it, although gratitude stubbornly overcomes me until I'm reduced to tears. So whatever it is, I cannot understand it, although gratitude stubbornly overcomes me until I'm reduced to tears. This, I would argue, is the experience that many of us have after a long retreat. We've hated every minute of it. (laughs) We've been angry at everyone around us and didn't like the food. (laughs) And the bed was lumpy. (laughs) And we were aching. And suddenly the retreat is over and we're filled with strange emotions of gratitude and love for all the ones we loathed throughout the retreat. (laughs) It's difficult to explain. But it is the opening of the heart that happens through practice. We have a little of it today. I felt it in the room before lunch. A little of that sweet, sweet opening of the heart that happens. I encourage you all to go on retreat if you can. You know, like once a year, take a week and go to a retreat center. Michael, do you offer? Yeah, that's great. And uh, I do too. I have two out-of-town retreats in New York, three actually. So you'd be welcome to come to one of ours too. And then there's uh, the Barry Center. The Pasana Center has a wonderful ongoing retreats there. And uh, I'm sure there are others that I can't name. Those are just the ones on the top of my head right now. But do that. And you too will feel this gratitude that you can't understand. An incredible gratitude practice. Sometimes we do a gratitude practice in my, in my group. We just write down all the things we're grateful for. It really takes the sting out of uh, some of our annoyance and crankiness to do that. And this is uh, also Sagyo. My final desire, that I be allowed to die under flowering cherries on the 15th evening of the second month. Isn't that, so that would be February 15th. Um, and he would like to die under just when the cherry blossoms. As I discussed on Friday night, Cherry blossoms are a symbol of impermanence in the East uh, because they're so incredibly precious and beautiful. Now, the forsythia had not bloomed last night, but it bloomed today. Uh, Forsythia stays with us a little longer than cherry blossoms do, but they're just so incredible and evanescent and impermanent, and they're here and then they're gone. And wonderful. Let's see. Oh, I've spoken of this before here in Toronto, but it's one of my favorite poems uh, completely of all time. Three lines. So in writes, 
settling the white dew does not discriminate each drop its home. So settling the white dew does not discriminate each drop its home. So the longer I live and the less discriminating I am, <laughs> let's just put it that way. Um, last fall I went on a homeless retreat. We try to do that once a year or once every year and a half where we go and live on the streets for a week and uh, sleep on the streets and eat in the soup kitchens and, and kind of just experience life from a different perspective than we normally do and talk to people who are there because they have to be, not because they're on retreat like we are. And, uh, you know, that teaches us to include everything in our life, not just the things that we prefer or that we choose, but to include everything like the dew does when it falls down and the dew in the early morning. You know, it, it goes on the cherry blossoms and it goes on the hedges and on the pine trees and on the dog shit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say, no, I'm not going there because that's suffering. It goes everywhere. And that is a heart that is completely open. And for me, that would be like the, the intention of our lives is to continually open our hearts to include more and more. You know, some of us in this room may be kind of political. So we would include everyone except certain people. <laughs> certain political beliefs, perhaps. Or certain classes of people. You know, and, and very often We'll say, well, you'll include all the poor, but you won't include the rich who are suffering tremendously. Imagine what it's like to be grasping like that. To always never feel like you have enough, ever. And that you have to harm other beings in order to get more. And it's very hard to have compassion for that. And yet, the white you does not discriminate. Everywhere it drops is its home. And when we're able to meet reality like that, we can have an effect in the real world because we can, we can open dialogue, we can make, we're there, we're not separate from what is going on. So that's why I just love this poem. Oh, and here's an anonymous poem about dying. To learn how to die, watch cherry blossoms, observe chrysanthemums. To learn how to die, watch the cherry blossoms, watch them release from the tree. Watch how they do that. Watch how a chrysanthemum just slowly Oh, all that we wish that we could die like that. Not grasping, 
screaming, denying. You know, none of us can predict what it will be like. We just hope the television won't be on. <laughs> I mean, if you go into some of these hospital rooms, uh, it's heartbreaking, the denial. It really is. Let's see if there's any more here. Oh, here's another. Now I'm on to death. Watch out. <laughs> and who is this? Oh, this must be. Uh, uh, this must be real con, right? Nothing in the cry of cicadas suggests they are about to die. Nothing in the cry of the cicadas suggests they are about to die. Um, if you come to our retreat in the summertime, it's so noisy with cicadas. They're just like so loud. I get sometimes people come in to interview with me. Cause I, on retreats, I see people individually, and somebody will come in. So many people come in and just complain about the cicadas. Right? Like I can <laughs> turn them off, you know. <laughs> It's so incredible. <laughs> Nothing in the cry of cicadas suggests they are about to die. Let's see if there's any more. It looks like there's one thing in the back. Hmm. This must be Esau. Yeah. Um, Esau was a famous haiku poet, and. Uh, He, uh, he was ordained for a while, but he also had children. This is one of the things about Japan. It's kind of a very interesting culture. Uh, and his little daughter died. A baby, baby daughter that he was very devoted to died. And he wrote uh, this uh, haiku. Actually, I'll read just a little part of the paragraph before he writes the haiku. Her mother clutched her cold body and, I, and wailed. I knew her heartbreak, but also knew that tears were useless, that water under the bridge never returns, that scattered flowers are gone forever. And yet nothing I could do would cut the bonds of human love. And then, so he writes this. So he's a wise man who understands the futility of grieving because we all die. And yet, he is grieving. He can't help it. And he writes this. This world of dew is only the world of dew. And yet, and yet, this is so simple. Huh? The world of dew, that, that's Buddhist language for impermanence is impermanence. You always represents impermanence. The world of you is only the world of you. It's we're here now. Monday morning we won't be here. Just like that. And then you have this this wonderfully evocative and yet and yet I am a human and I suffer and I grieve. And this is true of, of all of the 
in the Buddhist tradition, in the Zen tradition in particular, we can talk about how we are part of this vast ocean and we're but one drop of water and then we return to the ocean. And we can talk about it in a very beautiful way to understand death. And I certainly do that when I work with uh, uh, people who are grieving in condolence poems, some of which I read last night. We can talk very beautifully about that. And yet, we grieve. We cry. We scream. We beat the pillow. That too. And not to deny that. You know, I'm, I'm sure, Michael, I, I saw one of your books, Spiritual Bypass, there at your house. And so I'm sure Michael's been giving teachings on this. But it, the fact that we can see this in a, in a beautiful, vast way that will help us to be more skillful and loving in the world doesn't mean that we are not feeling what we're feeling. Grieve, grief, or joy. You know, sometimes people, when they get into a spiritual practice, they think they have to go around like that. But no, you feel what you feel. Don't hold on to it. Don't, grab, don't cling to it. Allow it to move through you. Be alive to it and then let it go. Yeah. I think that's... Probably good enough for that book. Let's see. Oh, I, I'll tell you about Master Kyosei. Kyosei was, um, when he first uh, went to, to his teacher, whose name I'm not remembering right now, uh, he said, how shall I enter the way? Uh, you know, that's a common way of beginning a conversation in Zen, how shall I enter the way? And uh, his teacher said, uh, well, actually, it's, it, very often people say, did you hear the creek out front? But it turns out that it was actually kind of like uh, the sewer. <laughs> Do you hear the sound of the sewer running out there? Yes. Enter there. So we could say... Do you see those drops of snow falling from the sky? Enter there. So wherever, enter right where you are. Don't wait for some special time, but enter right there. So Kyosei um, later uh, Uh, became a great teacher, and uh, very often he used sound, uh, the, the, the sound of the sewer, or the, the sound of um, a snake eating a frog, the different kinds of sounds uh, that he would refer to in his teaching. And one of them was uh, he was sitting with his, uh, one of his students, which just seemed to be kind of a blockhead, and um, he said, what's that, what's that sound outside? And the student said, uh, 
is the sound of raindrops. Kyose said, people these days are just upside down. And they just go and they follow after objects and don't get it at all. Right? Um, people these days lose themselves in objects and they don't get it. So the student did, did what every smart student will do. He said, well, how would you say it, teacher? <laughs> what about you? And uh, Kiyose said, I almost don't lose myself. I almost don't lose myself. So this is, this is the koan for you to work on. So if Kyose asks the student, what is that sound outside? And the student says, it's the sound of raindrops. And Kyose says, people these days are upside down. They lose themselves in objects. How about you, teacher? I almost don't lose myself. This is beautiful. So, what is that sound outside? If you say it's the sound of raindrops, you're separated from it. You're constructing an idea out there. You just, it's, that's not what that is. It, it's many things, but it's not the sound of raindrops, those four words. And that's, that's just the simple point of, of that. You hear that a lot. You heard that last night when I talked about words and words and words. That's uh, because we, get, we, we cling to these words and then we lose the experience of whatever that was, whether it was whatever was the sound. We've, we've lost it. We're not present to it. We just, we've categorized it and blocked it and put, separated from it and called it the sound of raindrops. And so Kiyose says, no, you know, you're, you're, you're lost in the idea of this thing. You're not present to it. What about you, teacher? Well, I almost don't lose myself. This is a wonderful teaching here. Because he doesn't pretend that he lives in the absolute world of absolute presence. Why? Because if he did live in that absolute world of absolute presence, he couldn't teach. Because everything I've said to you is upside down today. I've, it misses it. It misses it, it misses it, it misses it. But maybe if I just give you a barrage <laughs> of teachings, there may be some little sliver, gimlet, as we said in the, in the verse last night, some little sliver that will connect to the truth that you are and that you will use in that way. So, you know, we say that um, teaching is like uh, selling water by the river or teaching is, is in his case, you know, it's, well, I almost don't lose myself, but I do lose myself in words and ideas. So when I heard today, when we had question and answer, this, some questions about emptiness, I felt, oh God, why are you using that term? You know, which is a common 
term that we use. I mean, it's a translation, you know, uh, and we can go back to various ideas of what emptiness is, but all it means is without construction, really, without, without trying to fixate things to allow for the flow of life, the wholeness of life, to, to open ourselves to that, which doesn't mean that when we have to act, we have to take care of things, then, of course, we can use these useful tags, trying to remember that they're temporary tags. They are not the truth. They are temporary tags that we use that help us construct and organize our, our minds. And that's it. It's a great teaching, Kyo says. Let's see. I think I have one more poem and then I'm going to let us sit for a while. Maybe I do. Okay, I'll use this one from, uh, that I quoted last night from Tulu, the Vietnamese monk. Yes and no. If we answer yes, even a speck of dust has existence. If we answer no, then the entire universe is void or is empty. Yes and no, like the moon's face in the river, we can't not say it's there, and we cannot say it isn't. This is this fruitful ambiguity that we can live in. We can be at ease in that. And it gives us such freedom. We don't have to do it in any particular way. We can follow our hearts and act appropriately. So I think we should probably stand and do a little kinhin and then we'll sit for the rest of the day. Okay? Thank you.